Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some people in the world who, when they have lost something, or when they themselves get lost, carefully, methodically, rationally, patiently, look everywhere where it would be likely to be, stop to ask directions, look in all the likely places, retrace their steps, and then, with their heart rate never, ever changing, find what they were looking for and go about their business. I am not one of those people. My wife will tell you that when I get lost, or when I've lost something and am looking for it, I go what my daughter might call a little bit cuckoo sauce, okay? I lose my mind. I am irritable. I am impatient. I am frustrated. My heart rate starts to race. I look in places where there's no way it could possibly be found, and I completely overlook the places where undoubtedly it's hiding. It is crazy-making when I am lost. Now, you may be one of those calm, cool, and collected people, but how many of you at least know somebody who gets a little bit kooky when they've lost something? Hold on to that image, then. Because that is the image that Jesus offers us today to describe how God behaves when anyone or anything gets lost. Today, Jesus tells us three stories. They're very familiar stories. None probably more familiar than the third one. But what's interesting about these stories is how they are remembered. You can tell a lot by listening to how we remember certain things. This third story, probably familiar to many of you, the story about two sons, a son who takes his father's inheritance and disappears for a little while. What do we call that story? The prodigal son, right? The parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal, a word I had to look up this week because I had no idea what exactly it meant. Prodigal, according to the dictionary, means to spend wastefully or irresponsibly, right? It's a bad shopping spree or gambling habit. Prodigal. That's the detail we remember about this story full of characters and details and action. We remember the younger son's spending habits. Not everybody, though, remembers the story that way. Dr. Mark Allen Powell is a Bible professor at one of our seminaries in Ohio. And he did a little experiment with this story, reading it in three different places in the world with students preparing to be pastors. Here in the United States, in Ohio, he read it with folks, and he asked them to answer one question. Why was the younger son hungry? So hungry, he was willing to eat pig food. What do you think most of them wrote down? He squandered his property in dissolute living. That's what the text said, right? He spent it all. He was a prodigal. He was wasteful. And so he was hungry. But other folks remember something else. You see, he read that story with a group of people in St. Petersburg, Russia. A people who, that city by a different name, during World War II, were laid siege by the Germans. And almost a third of the population died of starvation because for over a year they had no food. And so when he asked those students, why was the younger son hungry, guess what they said? 
because there was a great famine that took place in that region. Dr. Powell, who reads the Bible for a living, had to look back at the story because he couldn't believe his ears. But in fact, that detail is right there. There was a great famine. But what about the fact that he spent everything? The student said, look, some people spend and some people save, but when famine strikes, we all suffer together. He was amazed. And then he read it in Tanzania. And there in Tanzania, he met with a group of people also studying to be pastors, and he said, why was the younger son hungry? Nobody said he squandered his money. Nobody mentioned the famine. Almost all of them said, because no one gave him anything to eat. Again, he had to look back at the text, and it's right there. They said, look, some people have money, some people don't, some people spend it, some people save it. Famine and hunger, these things are a part of our daily lives. But what kind of a people, what kind of a culture, what kind of a country can walk by a person starving to death in a pigsty, even if he is a foreigner, and refuse to do anything to help? How could a culture be so far gone that someone could die of hunger in front of their very eyes. Even those who are hungry, even in the midst of famine, you can always do something. You see, that's the thing about these stories. Is that a lot of folks in all of these stories get lost. There are a lot of ways in which folks are pretty far gone. Hungry, Apathetic, ignorant, wasteful. In a room full of maybe, I don't know, 100 and some people, there are thousands of ways to get lost. And so this morning, I've invited you to ponder how you've found yourself lost, or what you have lost and are looking for, and what might change if you were found. But I invite that not as an ending place, but rather to simply understand that in telling all three of these stories together, Jesus is trying to tell us something about how easy it is and how many millions of different ways it can happen that people and things get lost. And sometimes it's our own dumb fault. And sometimes it is due to forces that are out of our control. And sometimes it's because other people are hurtful. Sometimes it's because we aren't paying attention. But there's millions of ways to get lost, folks. We're all losers. Back in the 90s, there was this wonderful movement to seeker-sensitive churches. that People were all just out there looking for God, and if you just offered the right coffee shop or band, you could get them in. We are not seekers, friends. We are losers. We are the lost. And I think what Jesus is trying to to point our direction to is the ways in which all things can be lost. But more importantly, how God is not satisfied ever with anyone or anything being lost. But rather, our attention ought to be drawn to the grace of a God 
who seeks until all is found. That instead of the things or people that are lost, our attention might better be served by looking to the one who is doing the finding. Because all three of these stories could have the same title if we just know where to look. The first one, the shepherd. Jesus says, which one of you, having a hundred sheep, wouldn't leave all 99 of them to go after the one that wandered away? And every single person in that crowd would have said, nobody, no one in their right mind would leave 99 sheep at the will and mercy of wolves and thieves and the elements and their own wandering tendencies to go find 1% is a reasonable margin of loss rather than risking 99. No one, no one would behave the way the shepherd does in this story. But God is willing to risk everything to find that one that got away. And when the shepherd finds that one that got away, having risked everything in the process, the shepherd throws a party because God loves a good party. And everybody comes, most of them probably to snicker under their breath at how ridiculous that shepherd is. And then there's a woman. A woman who has ten coins and she loses one. Ten percent. That's unfortunate. It's not the end of the world. And by the way, if you're one of those Pharisees or scribes, you know the ones that put these stories into, into action, into motion, who love to look down your nose at all of those losers that Jesus chooses to eat with week after week after week, if you're one of those self-righteous folks like the older brother who refuses to party because that kid came home, the story of the lost coin ought to mitigate any judgment you might bring to the table. Because coins don't have legs, right? Or willpower. Quarters don't lose themselves. And yet, a coin is lost. And the woman turns the house upside down, loses her mind, searching everywhere, lighting the lamps, making a complete fool of herself in front of all of her navels to find one coin. And when she does, what does she do? She throws a party. Because God loves a party. She throws a big party, and everybody comes, probably to make fun of her. And I guarantee the party she throws cost way more than that one coin that she lost. But that's how God works. And then there's the father. A father who lost a child. That kid was as good as dead. Indeed, probably was dead as far as the father was concerned. He's gone. And that is a loss one never gets over. But lo and behold, one day that father looks up and way off in the distance, far enough that he probably wouldn't have recognized anybody else, but you always, always recognize your son. He sees his child, his little boy, covered in mud and pig poop, and he hikes up his robes, and he makes a total fool of himself, running to greet him, throws his arms around him, getting all that crap on his clean clothes. He welcomes him as royalty, and he throws a party, because God loves to party. And everyone's invited. 
some are iffy as to whether or not they will attend. These three stories invite us to ponder how we are lost, to be sure, or what we have lost. But more than anything, these three stories ought to turn our attention always to the one who frantically finds all that is lost. This is one who is frenzied, frantic, to find all that is lost. And will not stop until all things have been gathered again into God's loving embrace. This God will risk anything and look as foolish as a naked man hanging on a cross. Will stop at nothing to find whatever is lost and to raise whatever is dead. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.